Hello and welcome to the second episode of our first Physiosherbert series. This is a very special ser- episode, uh, special series anyway, but a special episode because we uh, move our focus to Denmark, which, which is where we actually recorded this episode in front of a live audience in Aarhus. We're just recording this on Zoom, just as a little quick, uh, we thought we'd give you a little quick insight into how we, this episode came about and also just how we sort of work in a way uh, before we sort of dive into the land of Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, and so with me is uh, my co-host, well, actually I'm not even one of the hosts to be at Frank because I wasn't there in the live show. So the live show is actually hosted by Tamara von Versen and Sandra Theresa Buch, but I'm just here as a sort of, uh, what am I here as? The editor. Oh, compare, <laughs> the MC. <laughs> Exactly. And so, yeah, so this episode, we are listening to The Dream Machine by Sonia Ferdinand. And we recorded it in Aarhus, not in a theatre theatre, but in uh, a school. So Tamara, tell us a bit about what happened when you got there and what you did. Yes, thank you. Well, we had an amazing time in Denmark. Um, we were very lucky that it was it was funded from by the Erasmus program. Rest in peace. Sadly, um, I think that's still in place until next year. And we used the the time to do a bit of a cultural exchange. So it was Amina Hamid who produced this episode, and me, um, as well as two great actors from the UK which came over to Denmark. So that's Josephine Start and Laura Hanna. And the Danish National School of Performing Arts, or the Danske Sceneskunstskole, hosted us. Yes, thank you for <laughs> I'm trying. My Danish is not great. Um, they hosted us and they have a, a little studio theatre in the school in Aarhus. They actually have two branches of the school, so one in Copenhagen and one in Aarhus. And they um, cover everything from writing, directing, acting and sound design and it's a brilliant place it's really really well equipped and um, they do some some really excellent work there. Sandra my co-host is also connected with the school she's working there as um, head of playwriting and it was really lovely to to be there and to meet and to make some work together um, and then have the recording in front of an audience so yes Maybe, Lily, you can talk a bit more about what our mission is generally. Yeah, so what we're really interested, obviously, as you know, listeners, is this international exchange for artists. And so uh, with this episode, we were able to get one of the uh, amazingly, brilliantly talented uh, emerging directors from the school, Sophie Orum Skoglund, to direct the play. And we teamed her up with two professional UK actors, Laura Hanna and Josephine Start, and a sound designer based in the UK, Jamie Liu, to work on Sonia Ferdinand's beautiful play. So that's kind of what we did. And so it's sort of a Danish, Swedish, UK, international collaboration, this episode anyway. Uh, and then we put it in front of a Danish audience, which was brilliant. And there are, you will hear in the, obviously later on in the conversations, 
there will be questions in Danish and answers in Danish. Everything will be translated, though, don't worry. Uh, and then, of course, our second bit of the episode, which you know, is always a conversation with a special guest. And uh, so Tamara, maybe talk about, because Tamara and Sandra were the sort of uh, leaders on finding this special guest. Maybe talk about how you found our special yes, guest. Yes, yes, I will. Um, well, we felt that it was really important to get a really good special guest for this episode um, because of the themes of the play. It's a very powerful play and about migration and the refugee experience so what we what we did was we we tried to find first of all we looked at refugee charities and then we through that we um, became aware of someone who had written a really interesting book so his name is Mads Nugard and the book is called De Ulet Sagedes book probably pronounced really badly but it's it means the unaccompanied book and in that book, he sort of collected the, the stories of unaccompanied minors who have fled from Syria to Denmark and sort of eyewitness accounts or, or their stories are collected in this book. But there was a bigger reason behind making the book. So by selling it, he has raised money for one of the children who, who are featured in the book to be reunited with their family. And that person he then pointed us into his direction and that's Juan Osman. And the reason why um, he thought he might be a good fit for the special guest was that he's already talking about his story quite a lot in Denmark. So he's doing that in educational settings or he's sort of talking about his, his experience to children and, and students in order to sort of educate and create some understanding of that situation in the country that he's now living in. He's an engineering student and he is 22, I believe. So it's, it's a little while ago that his story unfolded. He came to Denmark at the age of 15 on his own. Um, in 2015, I think. Was it in 2015? So yes, yeah. my math is terrible, but no, no, that's that, right. yes, that makes him 22, doesn't it? And so we were very, very lucky that he agreed to come on the podcast. It was a bit of a departure for him because this is the first time that he is talking about his story in English. So, yes, shall we get going and um, bring you the Dream Machine? Yeah, with all its fizziness. So uh, enjoy. Here's the Dream Machine by Sonia Ferdinand. On the airport runway in Addis Ababa, $1.8 billion rolls in. A machine, a dream. The The dream dream machine machine slides into the consciousness of the travelers with a never-ending movement. In the departure hall, a boy turns, points with an extended finger and the other hand clinging to his mother's skirt. Look, mum, look. The dream machine closes in. Look, Mum, look, the aeroplane. Do you think it's our plane? Look. In the cockpit, the pilot scratches his neck, looks at his co-pilot, the dashboard. His hands grab the joystick for just a second, and right there, in exactly that moment, he understands something about something, something about something that is important to speak out loud. Fuck me. This is it. The dream. Nespa. Can you smell it? 
the masters of the dream machine. Shoulder to shoulder they gaze at the swarm of people. Behind a fence at the outskirts of the runway, a boy is lifted by his father. He clings to the fence. In the horizon, the dream machine. When the plane is about to take off, I'm going to lift you over the fence. Can you see the big wheels? When the plane is about to take off, you're going to crawl up into the wheel and into the machine. Do you understand? It's important you understand exactly what you need to do. In the boy's pocket are all their family savings rolled tight with a rubber band. He wants to ask his father if he can stay, to say that he will be good in school, that he can help out with work. But now all the money is in his pocket, and if he asks if he can stay, he will probably cry. And crying is not really something real men do. Crying, that's for women and children. That is what his father says. Leave the crying to the women. You are a man. You are strong. When you get there, call this number. The boy's father sticks a note in his hand. Zero two zero something something. She knows you're coming. And gives his shoulder a slight squeeze. The 9.45 departure to London Heathrow is now ready to start boarding. We will begin with passengers seated in first class and passengers travelling with young children. Everyone please remain seated until further notice. Passengers not seated in first class or travelling with small children remain seated until further notice. Please remain seated until further notice. In line, a boy waves at the pilot and the dream machine, the dream maker, roars. A boy's father lifts him over the fence. He lands on his feet, feet that understand that now they need to run. In the cabin, a boy looks out the window, the dream machine. We are delighted to welcome you on board the Dreamliner 7879, bound for London Heathrow. We kindly ask you to keep your chairs in an upright position, your tray tables folded, and hope you enjoy your flight. The machine roars. Accelerates. Faster and faster. In the far end of the runway, a boy's feet have understood that they need to run. Faster and faster. Behind him is father. In front the plane. In the cabin, a boy points at the window. Look, Mum, look, there's a boy running. Days in flight entertainment will begin shortly. There's a boy running. Underneath the machine, a hand reaches for the right wheel. The plane lets go of the ground. In the cabin, a boy is slammed back into his seat. Underneath the machine, a boy holds on with both hands. The wheels fold in. A boy in the belly of the dream machine. In the aeroplane, a boy. A mother. A pilot. A co-pilot. A boy. In-flight entertainment. Guardians of the galaxy. The Avengers. Batman v Superman. In the cabin, a boy forgets a boy. Another day, another hero. On the screen, Superman is waving. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Superman. We will begin our descent into London Heathrow shortly. 
We kindly ask you to put away your tray tables, fasten your seatbelts, and make sure your seat is in an upright position. A mile from the runway in Heathrow, the dream machine unfolds its wheels. Underneath the machine, a boy falls out, lands in the back garden of a sunbathing suburban lady, whose first thought is that it's a giant bird that has landed in her dahlia bed. Did you see that boy? In the cabin, a boy looks out the window, pulls at his mother's sleeve. A boy fell from the sky. A boy thinks to himself that Superman always catches boys when they fall from the sky. A suburban lady bends down and looks at the cold body of a boy. In his hand, a number. Zero, two, zero. The suburban lady calls. A high-pitched tone. Hello? This number is no longer in service. In Heathrow Airport, a dream machine lands. A boy looks out of the window at the plane reflected in the glass facade gliding by. We thank you all for choosing to fly with the Dreamliner 7879 and hope to see you again soon. In the cockpit, the pilots pat each other on the back. Another job well done. Another job well done. Masters of the dream machine pat each other on their back. Okay, great. Well, that was really wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, what a great performance. And um, welcome to Sonia and Sophie. Um, it's, it's brilliant to have you here and to be able to have a chat with you about what just happened and uh, what the play is. But before we start, um, we have so Fizzy Sherbet. Um, the name is, is quite strange. It, it's actually, I don't know if you know in Denmark, but um, a fizzy sherbet is a lemon sweet, which has a bit of fizz in the middle. So it's got a bit of a sherbet. Um, and we just love um, fizzy sherbets because they're sour, but they're also sweet and they have a surprising kick at the end. So we feel that that's a really good symbol for our <laughs> podcast. Um, and we would like to just start um, our episode by asking... Sonia, uh, do you have a favorite sweet or anything sort of from your childhood or anything that um, um, you'd like to share with us? I think the sweet I remember so most, maybe not fondly, but was something called, I think it was called mousse when I was a child, um, and which was odd because they were yellow, um, so the idea that it was the moon. But I remember it very clearly because you couldn't, um, me and my sister used to go and get pick and mix from like every Friday we would do that. And my sister, who's my big sister, very confidently told me, so the trick is that you put stuff into your pocket, not just into the bag, and then you will get more candy. And I remember very <laughs> putting a lot of moons into my pockets. Very good. Yeah. And, and Sophie, do you have a, a sweet story as well? Um, I don't know if it's a sweet story. I remember, well, I, I remember when I was a ch- uh, child, I had this 
relative. I can't remember really how we were related, but the good thing about this relative, you always got Smarties when you met that relative. <laughs> you always got a, like a, a tub of Smarties. So um, I think that's my sweet story. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so um, we have with you Sonja Ferdinand. She is a Danish playwright who trained at the Danish National School of Performing Arts. Her debut show, Undressed, about digital violations, won a rumoured talent prize. And Sophie Orem Skoglund is an upcoming Swedish director who trained at the Danish National School of Performing Arts. Welcome both. Great, so let's talk a little bit about the play. So thank you so much, Sonia. It's a really powerful piece. I really enjoyed it. Um, can you just tell us why you wrote The Dream Machine, what your inspiration was? Um, yeah, it actually came about when I was applying for this school as a, and as part of the application process we had to write a text uh, which was based from newspaper stories and I just fell across a newspaper story that uh, I think the headliner was something, here we built dream machines uh, to uh, for 1.8 billion um, which is the dreamliner that's also mentioned so it is actually that machine um, and I was just immediately fascinated by whose dream it was uh, and what that dream looked like because uh, so that was where the story came about sort of that this uh, machine in a sense uh, holds so many dreams and we see like two in the play, we see these two characters who occupy the same space and airplane, but do it in different ways and with clearly very different dreams and perceptions of the world. Mm. Yeah, so that's how it came about. That's brilliant. Yeah, thank you. And Sophie, um, you directed the play. Yeah. What was it that made you want to direct it? Um, I think, I mean. I approached it mostly from a language point of view, I think, because it's um, it's so narrative written um, that it's uh, it's it's distant, but at the same time uh, tells everything, uh, even like the personal thoughts of the characters sometimes. But it's still uh, narrative in that sense. So it's um, I my approach was it's almost like it's. A nature documentary like you're just looking at these like in a nature documentary you don't judge if uh, um, a creature kills another creature it's just part of life and then I think these narrators in this play almost has the same view of the events that happens it's just things that happens um, and I think like the emotion like what resonated for me was like the emotional uh, structure in it is not in the characters or in the, the performance of the play, it's how it <coughs> affects the audience, mm. if it affects the audience. It's, um, so I think that was what I found really interesting with it and my approach to it. Yes, yeah, great. I mean, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because um, when we read it, in my mind, it was much longer than it actually was when mm. we were recording it, because it's so powerful and yeah. every line carries so much weight. So it's a really like dense text. Mm. There's a lot of happening in a very short space of time. Yeah, yeah, it was really, really beautifully 
done. Mm -hmm. And Sonia, um, I was, uh, I'm, I'm wondering um, what does presenting the play now in English for a wider audience mean to you? I think it's so, it's, it's really funny to ask that because it's actually a play I wrote a long time ago, but I think when people read it or they think, oh, it's written now, um, and I think there's something about um, that this story, it resonates so clearly with a lot of things of, that's going on at the moment. Um, so I think for me, it's, there's, there's something, I think it, it, it goes along with sort of the idea of what Sophie talks about, about the narrative structure, that this is a play that's, that is not centered on like one uh, place, one story, one specific circumstance. It's sort of the structure of it looks like something we see everywhere. So it's like, I feel like I'm very sort of glad that it gets to travel because I want it to sort of embed itself in different places. Mm. Um, I think a lot of, a huge part of how I wrote it was that I wanted two realities to sort of exist in the same sort of, as if the text was a box and I uh, put two different stories in it and insisted on that they were the same story. Um, I think for me a lot of what the play is about is sort of when we talk about the refugee crisis, we talk about it in something that's separate from the everyday life that I live. That's like, oh, that's your story, then my life is here. So I wanted to sort of to smash that, that in, I wanted to make it exist in the same frame. So when we receive it, we feel like it's, it's all here at the same time. Yeah. Yes, I think that's very successful. In the, in oh, okay. Yeah. And when did you write it? What was the I, th I wrote it five years ago. Yeah. So that was in, in 2016? 2016, yeah. In the play, a really strong moment in the play is, is the moment when a parent puts their child on an airplane and sort of leaves them to an unknown fate. I know that in another of your plays, mm -hmm. there is something similar which I find really interesting. Could you could you talk about that a little bit more? Mm. This is this is about the the couple who lead their children into the forest. Yeah, and um, leave them there. I think for me at least there is something about when you, a parent relationship is something that's so it's one of the only relationships in life that is not by choice. It's not like a friend that say like, we stop being friends because I don't like you anymore. That this this sort of. Uh, so when you break it, or when you send your child off to something, or you, it's it is a decision that sort of comes from something deep that moves it, that it's not something by choice or lighthearted. And I think for me that's very an interesting, an intricate place of looking at a lot of things in life. I think um, that the other text that you're talking about is sort of a reimagining of Hansel and Gretel. Mm -hmm. Uh, retold from the parents who have been deemed the bad parents um, so they tell the story of why they left their children and the whole text is sort of or at least the way I went into it was like I we can't just say that anybody in this world is bad I have to understand why you did that I wanted to go into that space of where you would leave why would you do that something that's so extreme that everybody can see that's an extreme action to do what circumstances there had to be for that to happen. And in Hensel, in Hensel and Gretel, um, it's of course extreme hunger. And of course in this, in the dream machine, it's Addis Ababa, which is in Ethiopia, as I recall. 
and it's a, of course also a place with dire circumstances there was at that time and especially now as well yeah now um, I would quite like to ask you another question about um, are there any any women who have inspired you in your career as a writer um, they don't have to be writers themselves they could they could be from any mm. sort of walk of life I, I, it's not because I can't come up with anyone I'm thinking about it but uh, it's just because there are so many I think I just because it's <laughs> she's present right now in my mind and what I do but the American writer and uh, Maggie Nelson mm -hmm. is, is a huge inspiration for what I do um, she intermixes sort of intellectual thinking with personal experience to investigate um, phenomenons like true crime or a queer identity or a pregnancy um, so that looking at phenomenons of her life and seeing them as a sort of as an arena to explore a lot of different ideas has been hugely influential for me and also uh, a teacher I met here Mm -hmm. who's a playwright called Sarah Woods and a, uh, an English playwright and maybe you know her but she has been a, a, a really huge inspiration in thinking about what you do as an artist not just thinking about that in a sense that being an artist isn't everything you do in life and it's an ethical principle you apply to everything mm -hmm. and that sort of consciousness of how you how your stories act that they're just not they're not just about something, but they do something and they want to enter into a certain conversation with the world yeah. and taking responsibility for what that conversation is and not just thinking about the aesthetical beauty of something, mm. but the content of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, would you describe your writing as, as political writing or would you, would you shy away from that term? Um, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's... Uh, it's like when people ask me, are you a feminist? Like, yes, of course I'm a feminist, but I don't want all my writing to be a feminist statement. Mm -hmm. And I feel that it's the same with being political. Like, yes, of course my everything is political. All my writing is very political. But I don't feel like uh, it's very... I shy, shy a lot away from politicizing or politicized language as well. And I think very... And that maybe that is maybe my political statement that I don't that I talk about political subjects, but um, really ha sort of very consciously avoid using politicized language to talk about it. That I feel that it's not, I need, I need to find different ways of talking about it. And I think that's where the dream machine also came about. Like I need to find a different way of talking about this. Yes. Yeah. So yes, and if, if you could imagine there a change to come about from your writing, is that something that you think about when you write because of the, the subject matter and the power within the play? Mm -hmm. Or is it something that comes from somewhere else? The, 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 the possibility of it creating change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would like, and I feel like that is the experience I've had when I have made great work, that it changes my perception of everything and therefore changes my actions. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like my writing is a sense like, oh, let's change that and things will change, something in a political system. But I feel like if I can change, not change to get to a certain point, 
but sort of can I infuse a different perception of things? So when you go out of this out of this space, you go out and you look at things as like, oh, there is something more to this thing than I thought about before, in a sense. So that's that's a change. But yes, still absolutely. Like, yeah. And and I think the same also with the audience. So it's yeah. it'll change working in yourself. Yeah. In writing it, but also in people who hear it. And yeah. That's brilliant. Sophie, is there anything you would like to add, or would you like to talk about the women that have inspired you? Uh, I could talk about the women that inspired me, but I also think <laughs> I would like that because I've, I've been thinking about that as well a lot of this, because I come from a political theater background, but I've been thinking a lot about like the political to the personal. Like if you can affect an audience with a person, like with the if they can understand a character, they can understand a, a, a political issue, or like they can understand the structure that that has created that difficulties for that character or for that person. Um, and I was interesting because relating to women has, has inspired me. Like two of the um, most interesting directors working in Sweden right now is uh, Farnas Arbabi and Karolina Frende. And I recently had an experience with just one of Farnas Arbabi's plays when I went out from it and it was like, it's so weird to go and buy groceries now because I just had this complete <laughs> emotional experience and now I'm going back to regular life. <laughs> uh, and I think that's also the, the kind of theatre I aspire to make like this. I don't think I can change, I don't know if I can change systems, but if I can change at least some people's in the audience perspective or or some people in the production's perspective of things then that can help bring about that change and um, for me as, as well like yeah I, I said so many good things but, <laughs> um, but no it's because this uh, I think uh, like I don't want to be boxed in as a pol political director but at the same time as a queer woman it's I'm, my identity is always politicized. Mm -hmm. I have to be political, otherwise, I, otherwise I won't have a voice <laughs> um, in this world. And I think that's why those, especially those two female directors in Sweden, inspire me so much, because they do stuff that is political, but it's also funny and it's mm -hmm. silly and moving. <laughs> and I think that's the balance. And I think this, also with the Dream Machine. I th what I found so interesting about working with the text is that it describes something political, but you can't direct it politically. Yeah. <laughs> because the voices in the play have no agency in it. Mm -hmm. They are not telling you, this is important, listen to this. But it's the fact that you still hear it that's important. <laughs> and I remember like reading it the first time. Also this, because you get the moment of the child actually gets on the plane and you, you're you're fooled as an audience to think it's going to go okay but of course it dies because that's how reality works mm. but because it's fiction and because it's drama you're fooled that it's going to go okay and i think that's a really strong thing and then life moves on because life moves on mm. and that's why yeah it's it lies in how it affects the audience more than how it's how it's portrayed i think yeah. that's the, the interesting part about it Great, thank you so much. It's been it's been really wonderful talking to you um, about this. Thank you.
welcome back. Thank you so much um, for coming um, to listen to our chat with our special guest. So we are talking to Joanne Osman. That's right. <laughs> Hello, welcome. <laughs> Hello, yeah, and uh, a short introduction for me. Um, so you are an electronic engineer, 22 years, and uh, you're based here in, in Aarhus, in Denmark. Mm -hmm. Welcome and thank you so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure and Thanks. privilege that you're here. So an important information is also that you uh, fled from Syria six years ago mm -hmm. uh, yeah. on your own. Which is right. why you're our special guest relating to this play, The Dream Machine. Um, because it's also about a child that is taking the trouble sure. on his own. So, and, and that was also about six years ago that Sonia wrote this play. I just found out. Yes, it was 2005. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, can you tell us a bit about the Syria that you grew up in? Okay, before the war? Before the war, yeah. It's, it was a beautiful country. And a modern country, yes, uh, and it was safety. Mm -hmm. It's a very cool country to live, to live in. And uh, you went to school and... Yes, I went to school. Was that, uh, how old, uh, you know, the school is that, so you went, what class did you go to? Uh, uh, it was uh, college. And you lived there with your no. family? Yes. So your family was your mother and father? Two, your yeah, brother and sister. And so what, uh, what made you then decide to, to leave your country? The first reason was my family, uh, because uh, uh, I, we know it's a war in the Syrian, and we, because I didn't want to wait to unknown future. And uh, it was very dangerous for my and for my family, so I decided, uh, I told my mother and father, I want to travel because I cannot wait, wait longer because we don't know when we will live. But they were, they was against this decision because they know how far, how dangerous it is to travel alone from Syria to Denmark when I was, when I was 15 years. Do you remember the day or the moment where you thought it's better for me to to leave than to stay? Uh, yes, as a, I I think about about my family always. So it not was better to me. It was better to all the family. So yes. Oh, so you wanted the whole family to leave? Uh, yes, we, yeah, we want, but uh, but it's so expensive to leave and travel from Syria to Denmark. And we was five, so one of us should travel. And were you the oldest of your siblings? Uh, my sister, she was uh, 14, mm -hmm. and my, my brother was 18. And, and so how come that you then left on your own? Yeah, like I said, uh, because if, if, if I leave, so it will be better it will be better for all the family, so I can, when I'm in Denmark, so I can get them because mm -hmm. I was uh, I was 15. And, so and your sisters were they were younger. Yeah, they were uh -huh. younger and. Yeah. But like I said, it's what my decision. My my parents didn't want. So did you go 
against your parents' will? Did you just leave without them knowing, or how did that happen? Uh, no, but in the last they say okay, if you want that. So, and because I can see, we have only one solution. And what what was the circumstances that made you say we only have one solution in Syria? What were the I could just imagine if it was me, I would say, oh, I give it another year. Oh, I see how Denmark will maybe, you know, maybe the situation will get better. Or So was there a point where you say, I can clearly see that for us, there is no future here. We have to do something else. Yeah, because the war started in 2011, uh, 2000, 11. Uh, 2011 and uh, I wait three, four years. And I, I could see it will not be better. And did you, in those years, did you go to school or what, did the school close down or? Yes, I went to school and uh, because every day when I went to school, I I said to my mom, okay, now I'm going to school, but I don't know if I will come back or not. So it was the life, of all, you always don't know mm. what, will ha- what will happen. Mm. And so after a couple of years, you made this decision, you pushed your parents to say, yes, you can go. Yes. And then how do you plan uh, a travel um, across the world like this? Mm-hmm. So all plans from Syria to Denmark? Yeah. It uh, was first, uh, I should to go to Turkey. Mm-hmm. And after that to the Greece. Okay. Yo. The Greece, yeah. Greece and to Macedonia, mm-hmm. Macedonia and Serbia, and Ungarn, Germany, Denmark. And how did you travel? It walking and take train, taxi. Mm-hmm. How long did the journey take you? It take me uh, uh, three weeks. Three weeks. Mm-hmm. And were you? Um, so you were fifteen years old. And you did the travel on your own. How, how was it to sort of um, make that journey, the transitions? Yeah, like I said, it was a train, and uh, because it was a lot of groups on the way, as all want to travel to the Europe, so I just followed them and uh, and asked it, okay, uh, where we go now, how we, what we have to do now, how I can get to Macedonia first and Serbia and like this. So you you were uh, several people um, mm-hmm. like in a sort of group mm-hmm. traveling together, and did you stay to stick to the group? Um, did you? No, no, actually, because some groups they want they went to the Germany and to the another country. How yeah. many? Uh, how many in the in the group that you were traveling with um, went to Denmark? Uh, three, four group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And did you know any of the others no. already? No, actually. But it was also uh, hard for me because I couldn't trust them, but I don't have another solution. And were they paid or, or how, how does it work? Yeah, also you have to pay, like I said, it was expensive uh, to travel from Syria to Denmark. I think it was, I paid about um, uh, 3,000 euro. Mm. Mm. Yes, from Syria to Denmark. Now I'm, I'm just asking. Maybe it's a stupid question, but for instance, if I travel and I'm going 
like on a journey that I could I could plan it myself or I could go to a travel agency and then get the sort of the flight connections and <laughs> the connections. How is this travel organized? Is it through someone yes. uh, else or do you organize it yourself? Yeah, that, uh, I, I know some people who help to, to do like this thing as because of repaying to the people who mm -hmm. help and uh, the people guide you to where you have to go and uh, how you can cross yeah. the countries. Yeah. And um, so you were, uh, you left without your family, <coughs> but did you have a, a contact with them while traveling? Could you call them or? No, actually, I, I couldn't because um, I the journey took my uh, three weeks and uh, I, I had a phone, but I couldn't charge it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. because, because I can remember we slept uh, on the road and uh, mm, in the parks or, or like that, we couldn't charge our. No. Mm -hmm. So so um, so when you, you traveled, you were yeah, that's a good information as well. You know where do you sort of um, sleep uh, during those three weeks? But that was various places outside or, or as you say, in parks or. Yeah, on the road, <coughs> on the street. Or yeah. Well, what was it like when you came to Denmark? What what what? What happened? So, mm -hmm. but when I came to Denmark, because I know uh, I have uh, I have uncle uh, living in Denmark, and uh, I know he he live in Paris. Uh, so I tried to call him, uh, but actually he couldn't come because he say uh, it's too dangerous for for me and you. If uh, if the police uh, see us on the garden, because. Uh, I don't have any ID, and he have. So the police think, okay, maybe he helped the people to cross Denmark. Uh, okay, so I can, it's fine. I will go to the police and tell what, what I'm doing here. So okay. I I went to the police and say, okay, I'm Joan, I'm from Syria, and I have been a long journey. Now I want to seek asylum here in here in Denmark and uh, I can I can see uh, uh, he can see I I was very tired and I haven't eat uh, today uh, so he, he said to me okay uh, I want to invite you to McDonald's what you what you want to eat yeah. My uh, my uncle, you were afraid from him, and now. <laughs> <laughs> were there other sort of um, things on your journey that you were afraid of, um, in terms of either the police or the land crossing? Mm -hmm. Yes, as but it's, uh, actually it was. Um, I can't remember. Uh, it was between Turkey and Greece, because. I know it's just you have to try. You maybe will be die uh, or not. Mm. So that was the mm -hmm. dangerous part. Mm. I was afraid for. Mm -hmm. And did and did anyone in your group uh, die? Uh, no. 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 Actually. Yeah. And how many were you in that group? Do you? Uh, we we was forty five. 
Okay. Plastic, uh, plastic balls. Yeah. Um, when did you go across? Was it at night or? Uh, it was at night. Mm-hmm. That must have been really scary. Yes, yeah. because the police uh, allowed to see you. Yeah. If they see you, so you will. You will be sent. You will be sent back to Turkey, and it's time like you need help, but you cannot get help from them. Yeah. Who don't want? Yeah, because then you'll be back. You back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you all made it. Yeah, yeah in the group. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was just quite recently uh, on the news, a really terrible incident in the in the British Channel, um, where um, nearly thirty people died and drowned in mm-hmm. trying to cross. And I've also seen footage of really horrible sort of maneuvers by the police or by by people trying to get boats to turn back and sort of going really close to them and and intimidating them. So were there lots of stories like that before you crossed where you were scared that that might happen? Yes, I I saw a lot of stories uh, and also uh, I I told my my mother and father, okay, as if I will die, so it it's my decision. Mm. It's not your. Mm. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then you must have had, because the whole drive or motivation for you have been to sort of get them um, to be the first one to come and then bring your family in safety as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that? What happened then when you came to Denmark and also because then you had another year you made the journey but now you also have to. Mm-hmm. Yes, and when I was in Denmark, so I think I waited three days to to get my family, to bring my family to Denmark, and yeah, they come, and I I don't think I can explain the moment uh, when I meet them. <laughs> it was a good moment. Yeah, yeah. because because of them I travel and. Uh, it was a plan for me. So, so uh, the first thing was to get your phone charged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so they, you live together with them in mm-hmm. here now. Yeah, You're all mm-hmm. united. Mm-hmm. How? I'm just having a, a question uh, regarding the dream machine. So at the end, you know, the co-pilots, they sort of, um, you know, hey, well done. <laughs> but they don't know what has actually happened. In the, in the story. Do you, now that you have taken this journey, what could make the journey better for those that flee? Um, if you, now that you've taken it for, as a, as a political suggestion or something that we could change to make it possible for people to... Yes, open the boards mm-hmm. yeah. to the refugees. Yeah. yeah. Super <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I know it's very difficult for the country say because uh, when they open the board, so it was come a lot of refugees. Uh, the refugees need help, and uh, they maybe cannot, and uh, they're afraid for a lot of refugees. So, mm. but I think we have to think about the human first. Yeah, 
I think this is a really good point um, at which we would like to invite um, Sophie and Sonia back up on the stage as well. And we would also really love to open everything up a little bit to the audience for questions. So if there's anything that anyone would like to ask either of us here, then please just shout it out. Um, and I'm very sorry to my English, not good. So Your English is wonderful, thank you. <laughs> I'm trying very hard. <laughs> thank, thank you, Joanna. Yeah, because usual, usually I, I'm, I'm speaking four languages. Uh, so. Yeah. I'm, I'm so impressed because you said, oh, I can't do it in English. And then we had this phone conversation. I was like, what, what do you want about? Your English is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um. So, yes, so maybe we'll start with um, Sonia and Sophie. Maybe you have a question for Joanne as well. But it's funny because I want to ask you like really banal question. Where do you live here in Aarhus? And do you like it? Yes, actually, because when I came to Aarhus, it was my first town in Denmark. Yeah. It was Aarhus, and uh, I like to live in Aarhus. Yeah. Where do you live? Uh, I'm living in in Hornsbet. Like it's near Aarhus. It's not long. It's not. Mm -hmm. Oh, I should also say, if anyone would like to ask a question in Danish or Swedish or German, please just ask in whatever language you like and we will translate it here. Yeah. Yeah. I just asked uh, the reason for you to choose Denmark, was that your uncle? Yes, I asked him how to live in Denmark and uh, can I get my family if I came to Denmark? So he said, okay, yes, you can, sure. Mm. So I should. Yeah, it was important to, to get the family united again. Yeah. yeah. And can I ask when your uncle came here? Uh, he came to Denmark before, um, I think, 20 years ago. And why did he come at that time? I don't know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't war in Australia and... He, he just travelled here and, mm. and stayed. That's another place, Sonia. <laughs> <laughs> That's another place. Yeah. Can I ask something? Yes. What is your dream machine? My dream machine? <laughs> <laughs> we can also extend that to everyone else on stage. What is your dream machine? Which is a really difficult question. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> we like difficult questions. Yes. Mm. I think my dream machine is something that can't be a machine. I think it is sort of an idea or something that can create change that's needed in the world. That would be my dream machine. And I think there's a lot of change that's needed on lots of different fronts. So I think if there was a machine that you could just point at something and then it doesn't change, that would be amazing. <laughs> and you could solve all the problems in the world. That is my dream machine. Anyone else? I feel like mine is really banal, but it's because I, I just moved into a colony house and... Um, it's it's a, sorry, into what? It's a colony house, it's like a community... It's allotment? Allotment, allotment garden, but with a house 
but a lot of living in an allotment garden is thinking about climate, securing it, because there's a lot of rain. So the only machines I'm obsessed with is like machines that can recycle water, mm -hmm. and machines that can make sort of everything go into one system, or else mm. it will dissolve. This place will not exist in the future. That's an amazing answer. I think my dream machine, uh, a machine can stop the war and destroy all the guns. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a good dream machine. Mm. Sophie. <laughs> um, I don't know. If Again, I don't know if this, uh, it should be a machine. <laughs> <laughs> Universal healthcare is a machine. <laughs> I think that's good. If yeah. it's your dream machine, that's I, good. I think so. Universal healthcare. Great. Um, Brilliant. For free. <laughs> Very good. I, I like I like what we're creating here. Sandra, what's your yeah. dream machine? Do you have one? Yeah. I would really like a machine that could that could save our planet in general. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Especially especially um, diversity mm -hmm. on all levels. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of what I meant when I wanted yeah. to, that's what I would have sucked my machine at, but yeah. <laughs> Thank you, that was a wonderful question. Thank you. <laughs> any other questions? Anything? And in any language? Yes. Uh, it's a question for John. Um, have you seen, out, outside of this play, have you seen your experience as a refugee represented in art anywhere else? Mm, I don't think No. No. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's. Yeah, thank you. Yes, please. In this how you say it in English? Yeah. 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 First that you arrived, and then how did you get your family to come? Yeah, because when you come to Denmark, you must first seek asylum, and it takes it takes time. Also, when you get to stay here in Denmark, you must seek asylum with your family. Okay. And it took me three years for to get my family here to Denmark. Okay. So um, so first, um, first you have to come to apply for um, asylum. And that took three years, but then first, was that right? No, six months. Six months. That's right. To get my the phone. asylum, yeah. but then another, yeah. uh, almost three years to get family. your family um, to come to to Denmark. Mm -hmm. And did they come on a flight? Yes. On a dream visa. Yeah. Great. Okay. <laughs> they got a visa then. Yeah, they, they got a visa. Yeah. So it was very easy for us. It is yeah. crazy to think how easy the journey can be if, you've if got the borders visa. are open, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a visa, and then yeah. how difficult it is yeah. to... A passport, decide if you want to, mm -hmm. if you can travel or not. Yeah. If you have to, mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. Right, okay, I would say that's probably the last question there, now. There was another was one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm very uh, reluctant to ask, but I can't help asking you, does it mean that you actually live here with the threat of being sent back to Syria. Yes. Det er stor sandsynlighed, men jeg kommer ikke fra Damaskus. Det er dem, der kommer fra Damaskus, det er stor, hvis du får blive sendt tilbage til Syria. Men det var det, jeg kommer fra Alibro. 
Mm. Og, oh, yeah. og regeringen her siger, at Alibo lige nu er ikke et sikkert sted, man kan bo i. Mm. Så derfor forlænkede det mit opholdsvælse her i Danmark. Mm. Men det kommer en dag også ske. Måske. Mm. Man ved det ikke. Vi håber. Jeg ved ikke. Vi lever her, men... Det lykkes for jer. Lige nu, jeg har med tid i opholdsvælser. Så jeg ved ikke, hvad det giver. So, so the answer is that um, Aleppo is on the list of um, the cities in Syria where you are safe staying in Denmark, or you, you can stay in Denmark because you are from Aleppo. Um, but if you came from Damascus, that isn't quite as unsafe, so the Danish government would then uh, be able to send send you back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, thank you so much to everyone here. To, to our audience and to our panel. And we're just so delighted to be here live because it never happens for us. We're just on Zoom normally. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us. The Dream Machine was written by Sonja Ferdinand and directed by Sophie Oren Skoglund. It was performed by Laura Hanna and Josephine Start. Sound design was by Jamie Liu. Our special guest was Joanne Osman and our episode hosts were Tamara van Bertan and Sandra Theresa Buch. The episode editor was Lily McLeish. Fizzy Sherbert is produced by Steph Weller for Playwell Productions and Amina Hamid Productions. This episode was recorded live at the Danish National School of Performing Arts in Denmark and was only possible thanks to the kind support of the National Lottery through Arts Council England, Sainsbury Foundation, Erasmus and Danish National School of Performing Arts. Thanks also to our anonymous supporters, you know who you are. You can find out more about Fizzy Sherbet on fizzysherbetplays.com and if you enjoyed this episode, please like, follow, subscribe and review.